0: You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. I'm Robert Smith. Today's guest is a guy who everyone at the IFE trade show knows. He puts on a terrific show for us every year, and he was more than happy to take my money when I was foolish enough to make a friendly wager with him back in 2015 <laughs> on the World Series, he's laughing about it right now. Folks, yep. this is IEFE Director of Sales, Mr. Steve Seaver. Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Robert. Thanks for having me.
0: First, of, first things first, we should clarify that little introduction. I'm a Mets fan. And yeah. you can see behind me, I've got a Keep Calm and You Gotta Believe little uh, thing that I painted up um, for the Mets. You are a Kansas City Royals fan, and in 2015, we went head-to-head in the World Series. I remember the Mets had already clinched. They swept Chicago, and they were in, and we were waiting on the winner of Toronto and Kansas City. And I was sitting there quietly hoping Toronto would win, because I knew Kansas City ate fastballs for breakfast, and we had a fastball-throwing rotation. Well, as it turns out... Kansas city got it done with Toronto. And I remember texting you minutes after oh, yeah. Casey had clinched and I, it was probably a dumb thing for me to do. Cause I think I jinxed the whole damn thing right then and there. Do you remember what the wager was? You know, I
1: don't, you were going back now to, to 2015, if my memory mm-hmm. serves. So we're Correct. talking six years ago. But I I certainly remember being on my couch watching the games and having a a text exchange with you probably just about every single uh, game. Um, Yeah. And especially I remember game one specifically. But uh,
0: I don't know. What was the wager? The wager? It was big-time money. Big-time money. It was was the loser buys the winner their team's championship T-shirt. That's right. That's right. And then we get through it, and we're – I knew we were going to struggle when Familia blew the save on game one. I was like, this is, this is not going to yeah. end well, but we get to game five and I'm like, Hey, we're up to nothing. Bottom of the eighth. Uh, we're three outs away from sending this thing back to Kansas city. And we've got Cinder coming up on the bump. I'm like, we, this could go seven. Yeah. And then Matt Harvey argues with Terry Collins and says, I'm staying in the game. I'm staying in the game. And about 17 minutes later, you guys were world champions
1: good times but you know, you know <laughs> laughing about that my my wife used to give me such grief about being a royals fan i mean we have we were bad for half what 30 straight years had been since like 85 so when we I,
0: get I get we had, it i get
1: it why are you t- teaching our teaching our boys to be royals fans they never win and so 14 and 15 were were great years in baseball in terms of being a baseball fan
0: yeah, I um I I remember that you guys, you know, the Royals win and I'm like god god, it was just heartbreaking. And it, it I was like, well, I don't I didn't mind the bet. I'm like, it's a friendly wager with Steve. I'm totally cool buying the the shirt. And so I go on to mlb.com. Get your Royals championship gear now and I look at it and I'm like there's like 35 different t-shirts, 17 different colors each. I said, uh, is it Steve and I think I sent you like a, a fifty dollar gift card or something that said pick out your shirt, whatever you want to get. Yeah, have at it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have at it. That was uh it was good times. Um I'm just glad we've got new ownership in, in New York now. Maybe Steve Cohen can actually, you know, get the uh the rust that's on the gears that is the New York Mets front office and get it off and maybe put something together, a team on the field that can work. So We'll see. I understand that Trevor Bauer may be in the mix for the Mets. What do you think about that? Where do you think he ends up? Boy, it's got to be a big market team, obviously, right? Mets would make sense. I think so. The the Mets make sense. My one concern is that I, I worry. I like what Trevor Bauer did last year. He's a fantastic pitcher. But to me, he's a good number three or number four guy. He's not the number one guy, at least if you look at his career stats. You know, he's career about a 3.8 or four ERA guy. So the question is, are they willing to spend 38 or $40 million for one year mm. to get what could be a 3.8 ERA year? So,
1: well, in these interesting times, it's going to be interesting to see what all sports teams do budget wise and how they spend.
0: It's interesting yes, to look at it. of course. It's easier when you gotta re, people gotta realize when Steve Cohen bought the Mets. I think he is one of I know in Major League Major League Baseball he's the wealthiest owner now. Like the next wealthiest owner was the the group that owns the Washington the guy that owns Washington Nationals and he's only worth like only worth only. like four point seven billion. Steve oh. Cohen's worth like fourteen or fifteen billion. Of course, man, after the crazy. whole GameStop incident, he may not be worth fourteen billion anymore. But still, once you get above like two or three billion, I mean, who's counting anymore? Right. So, well, we'll listen, man, up, um, yeah, I can talk baseball with you for hours and hours. It's, it's a passion of mine. But let's get to some business on this. I appreciate you being on the show today. Let's jump right into it. For the folks listening, tell us how you came to be with IEFE. I guess just a little bit of luck, to be honest with you, Robert. Um, when I graduated from
1: college, I had my, you know, everything all mapped out. I had worked at a a Hallmark card store. Hey, there a, yeah, so uh, I was all about Hallmark at the time when I graduated college, and I had worked with the local um, rep here, putting together stores and moving fixtures and setting up stores from the ground up, and kind of had an in. And I got hired by Hallmark, and this would have been in 93. And went to Kansas City to work with them and I guess I I joined that organization at a a very strange time because there was this transition going on from what I call retail stores that were owned by moms and pops to big box retailers where you know you go into a Walmart or a Target or whatever it is and they have these huge card racks and um, I got employed there went through training in Kansas City got shipped out to Columbus Ohio uh, for more training and within like six months was told that uh, my progression into the field sales job was going to be slowed down because of all the changes in the the card business. I mean, the big box retailers. Um, I tolerated that for probably another six months. Then and I made that call to mom and dad, said, hey, mom and dad, you care if I move my stuff back into your garage and come home because this is going nowhere, you know, and I, I can imagine the, the look on their faces when that they got that call from me, but they were like, sure, as long as you're happy and want to find something different uh, do it so that's what I did I literally had a buddy come in with a U-Haul truck and moved me back to Springville, Missouri and uh, a month later so, you know probably got settled in and uh, saw a job listing for sales rep for International Association Affairs and Expos had no idea what it was but like yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply for this it sounds interesting if nothing else I'll learn about it and uh, lo and behold two interviews later hired and here I am 26, 26 years later, still here at the IAFE and uh,
0: love it. Absolutely love it. 26 years. And I got to give you credit. I I hope people listening hear. there's something really special about what you said. You read the the help wanted ad in the the newspaper, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. you had no idea, but you didn't look at that and go, well, I'm not qualified. You said, I'm going to go throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. The worst that, People got to realize when, when, especially the youngsters that are out there that are early 20 somethings going, but I'm not really qualified for that. Don't say no for the other guy. Go try, go interview. Maybe they talk to you and they give you, maybe you don't get hired, but they give you some insight and you go, I could be really interested in this. And you go get the training you need. You threw your hat in the ring. You took the risk and here you are a lifetime career, 26 years later. And you do a fantastic job with the trade show. I mean,
1: clearly you picked it up quickly. I don't know about that you know when I started here Robert actually the sales rep job was strictly for print advertising sales only and at the time oh, wow. the IAFE was printing 10 issues per year but we also did these little daily inserts or tied into our convention and then we did an annual directory and so the job was for basically selling print ads and when I started here it's it sounds like it's like a lifetime ago I would literally go through trade publications looking for companies that would fit our association, write their name down on an index card, send them a copy of our magazine and a Ray card, and then follow up with a phone call seven days later. And I did nothing but that for, I don't know how long it was just mail, 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 follow-up calls, follow-up calls, follow-up calls. And then as time went on, I got a more responsibility and thrown into the trade show sales side of things and then sponsorship and membership. And it just kind of uh, progressed from there, but it's, it's, it's been a very rewarding uh, job in And in the end, what's kept me here is the people. Um, Our our business is so unique and so full of special people. I can't imagine doing anything else, quite honestly.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, you guys do such a great job. And with a massive amount of work you go that goes into the whole convention, not just the trade show. But every time I go to the convention, and more so in the last few years than in the early years, but every time I go to convention, it doesn't feel like business. It always feels like a family reunion. You're exactly right.
1: I mean, I, you know, we, you and I will t- talking baseball, and years ago we we're texting on the couch when these baseball games are going on. I have that going on all the time with members. You know, it, they they are friends, they are family. Uh, you establish relationships with these people, especially being here 26 years. Um, it's it very is much like family. I just found out last night that somebody that was one of my first ad accounts passed away in California. Was a Tremendous gentleman, and it it hurts. I mean, you you feel all these losses and and the, and the things that happened in the industry. It it very much uh, hits you right here in the heart.
0: Well, in the last year has been really difficult. Um, you know, the one person who passed in the last year that really hit me was the loss of Lisa Dudding down in South Florida mm-hmm. in West Palm, and you know, she's such a tremendous um, entertainment director. She did her job beautifully, but just a human being, just a dynamite human being, and then. I don't know what the, you know, being across the country, I don't know what the status was for uh, for Florida with their restrictions, but I know um, here in New Mexico, we had a neighbor who passed who's a Vietnam veteran, and he still hasn't um, been able to get military honors just because of the restrictions on funerals and, and group large gatherings. And so, you know, when you lose people in the middle of a pandemic like that, whether it's to the pandemic or just because life, you know, finally, finally caught up, it's hard, you know? So I feel that when, when, you know, you lose somebody in the middle of all this, and
1: well, this 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 gentleman's name was Bill Hollingshead. Uh, he was an agent out of California that, that ripped a lot of, I call it, the surf party acts, Jan and Dean, and Frankie Avalon. And and when I just started here, he was like one of the first calls that I made. You know, and he he was extremely generous with his time, and I can remember him encouraging me. You know, and sometimes he'd tell me, "No, so sorry, no, I'm, I'm not placing an ad with you." he'd tell you straight away but then he would spend that extra time on the phone with you just getting to know you and he was just somebody that I always looked up to and uh, those people have impacts on you no doubt about it
0: yeah they really do I mean clearly this is we always talk about fair family Um, you know certainly there's times where it feels more like business and and I know on the entertainment side we're like you know we hear fair family a lot but um, but you know when the pandemic hit um, there were a few minutes in there where I was like we're supposed to be a fair family and I know everybody's dealing with a whole lot right now, but I feel for a minute, I felt like the entertainers were being forgotten and then out of nowhere without even saying anything, Courtney Conkle from Wyoming state fair reaches out on a, a text message to me. And um, you know, she and I are acquaintances. We're not super close friends or anything like that, but we say hi and visit for a few minutes at, when we see each other at trade shows. But she reached out and said, Hey, you know, I know the fairs are connecting and I can, you know, NICA and OABA is connecting with all the concessionaires and taking care of them, but we want to make sure the entertainers are okay. Are you doing okay? Yeah. That changed the course of my year at that point. Cause I was starting to get feeling really like, man, I'm just taking cancellations left and right and getting beat up. And <laughs> the only time anybody's talking to me anymore is to tell me they're canceling.
1: Mm. So,
0: you know, just that phone call, you know, there the a text message to reach out and say, Hey, how are you holding up? Really meant a lot. Clearly we are a fair family. I think way more often than not, we're a family. Now with you guys, when you do the convention, conventions always almost always with a rare exception is over Thanksgiving weekend every right. year. And so y'all at IEFE, you give up that holiday time with your families. That's gotta be a challenge for you. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, to me, just, it is the way that it is. I mean, uh, you know, I've been married 21 years, so I was at IFE before I was ever married, so it's kind of like it just is the way that it is, and I guess that that tradition has kind of held that we've always kind of met that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday following Thanksgiving, and it fits well in the overall scheme of the industry, kind of in the the downtime, and some of, you know, the fairs wrap up, like North Florida and some of those down there, and uh, you have the International Association of Amusement Parks, who usually meets like that second week in November, and then we're kind of logically fall into that that time slot there. So uh, sure. it seemed to work well, even though it is kind of, you know, people outside of our industry go, but oh, that's a really strange time to be having. It just, <laughs> so it is. That
0: first year with Colette, where you like, hey, babe, I love you, but listen, Thanksgiving, just not going to be a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You pretty <laughs> much lay it out there. Thanksgiving will never be a thing. It just if if it it's
0: is. that important to you, sweetie, then you need to find somebody else. Right. Although you did, I know. Like, what was it? Five or six years ago, there was um, something in the calendar changed, mm-hmm. and you, we were a week into December, which was kind of nice. Um, but still, I got to imagine. Even then, you got. You're so focused because I. It's probably the same way with performers. When we're getting ready to gear up for a fair, like we are focused on that. You're focused on IFE. Even that year that you got to be home. This last year, though, looked a little different. It did. You actually got to be home. How did it feel? I know it was under otherwise fairly negative circumstances, but how did it feel to be home with with the family this year? Gee whiz, I probably got to be honest here. You know, obviously,
1: well... (sighs) Robert, I mean, the, w- during the pandemic, I would say I, w- I worked at home for probably eight straight weeks. And so you're you're around, and you're, my literally my wife is at the other end of the kitchen table, and you've got your kids doing their homework around you. The time that I spent with them this year has been amazing. But there was something that was a little depressing, to be honest with you, about being at home on Thanksgiving. And I probably shouldn't say that, because I got to spend time with family, and it was so, certainly different this year.
0: It's than real, the
1: back of going, This is not where I'm supposed to be, and this just doesn't feel right. just didn't
0: feel right yeah i don't think you're i don't think you're wrong for saying that i'm sure colette understands we all um i think all of us felt that every fair manager that i've spoken to um expressed in some way you know yeah we canceled in in july and then when september 12th came along it's like there's no ferris wheel set up there's no no ticket takers there's no volunteer meetings there's nothing and there was this moment of of uh, of depression, where it were kind of hit, and for us as entertainers, it hit a lot because <laughs> it was like, oh, I would have been in Australia this week. Oh, yeah. I would have been in Arizona this week. Oh, I would, you know. And by the, you know, by the time OC Fair would have wrapped, that would have been five weeks for me out in Costa Mesa. I kind of, it didn't hit so bad after that. It was just like, you know, is what it is. My concern this entire year has been you know, and talking with other entertainers, because, you know, we talk behind the scenes and there's been a lot of, well, you know, what do you think? Do you think we're going to, we're going to have to cut prices? Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to have to cut prices to get back into the game and get this thing moving again. And, and I understand the discussions and I think they need to be had, but my, my eye on the prize is it's in a way it's like what Wayne Wayne Gretzky used to say, I was good because I skated to where the puck was going, not where it was and this is how i'm approaching this my goal is to do whatever it takes to make sure fares are healthy so that there is a fair in 22 23 24 25 and if that means we I, you know i don't want to adjust prices for you know i want to get paid what i get paid but right if we if we gotta if we gotta be flexible right now what you know it's not going to do any good if we all go in there stubbornly and say nope forget it this is my price and then fares can't afford it and they drop off entertainment like you know, end goal is let's get these fairs healthy again financially so that we all have a, an opportunity to work together.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the whole thing. It's not just the annual fair. It's their, their non-fair rentals. It's like, you know, flea markets, gun shows, whatever they've got going on, we need all this to open up so that they can be, you know, get some cash flow going. And yep. then, you know, but, but the entire industry needs to, to, to go forward. I you know, I've heard some discussions about, you know, there's probably gonna be some opportunities for grounds acts this year because of budget shifts from headliner entertainment. But yeah. it, it really is extremely important that we get that headliner entertainment back. I mean, that, that group has really been hit hard as well. And, you know, and it seems like they're getting hit harder again because there's been so many that are modifying their formats. Um, and it's hard to do concerts when you're looking at 50% capacity. Uh, that segment really needs to get going. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping at some point in time this year, that that all of it's back, not just certain parts of it.
0: Yeah. And depending on the fair, I mean, you look at, at uh, Strawberry Festival comes to mind because they just made that announcement a month or so back that, you know, no headline entertainment this year because they don't want to cram people in that amphitheater of theirs, um, which by the way, Paul Davis, if you're listening, beautifully renovated. It's amazing. Um, and so... There is a feeling that there's more money that can go to grounds this year, And I think that's good. Um, I also think grounds acts need to be cautious that just because the headline entertainment isn't happening, doesn't mean that they've got that 200,000 or half a million or whatever the number is to drop on grounds entertainment. In a lot of cases we might be looking at a fair that had a half million dollar entertainment budget, but now might only have a $200,000 entertainment budget. So there's less bandwidth for all of us. All I can say to performers is, um, if you didn't believe me that the relationship building before was important, this is where it's really going to be important because these fairs are going to deliver for the people they have relationships with. So listen, this time last year, mm-hmm. you know, we were hearing about the virus starting to work its way into the United States. And little did we know we were just about five weeks away from the wheels coming off the bus. How did you feel? Because we've, we've spoken with Marla about this, but I want to know from you, how did you feel when Houston canceled and you realized this is going to be a big deal?
1: Well, when, when Houston canceled, I was, I guess, stunned, you know, I had heard about the virus maybe before all this, but you're kind of in the back of my mind was going, okay, this is somewhere else. We really don't have to worry about it. And then suddenly you started hearing more about cases in the U S and then, and then Houston happened, but somehow in the back of my mind, Robert, I kept thinking, okay, Everything's going to get shut down for like eight weeks and then things, this will go away and things will ramp back up and maybe we can still get in a good chunk of the fair season. That was what was in the back of my mind.
0: We still have a chance. That's the consensus of almost every single person I've spoken with, that there was a feeling that somewhere around June, early July, it would break up and cases would nose you know, would plummet and we'd be good to go for, you know, maybe August or for sure, September, October, November.
1: You know I think you go back and listen to health experts and they were talking about you know would the weather and the heat affect you know how how it, how it would spread and you know I guess there was a maybe almost a mindset that maybe once the warmer weather hit that it wouldn't be as big of an issue and I guess you held that hope for all that time and then as you got into uh, the May time frame and, and started hearing more cancellations then it became kind of apparent uh, that the path that we were headed down
0: Yeah. And, and as we saw cancellation after cancellation, after cancellation, you know, I think you and I were talking about it, you know, some sponsorship opportunities and whatnot for the convention. And I remember it was probably about a month out from when the bad news hit and you were like, you know what, let's hold off on that right now because we're just not sure. And sure enough, the decision had to get made. What are you feeling with this? You guys do so much, just like fairs, just like all of us do so much work to produce an event and then it's done. What are you feeling when that decision finally gets made?
1: Well, behind the scenes, Robert, as a team, you know, we were going through all these different scenarios, you know, plan A, B, C, and D, you know, one is, was we're going to go forward. And one is, well, we may have a, a segment of our industry that won't attend. So we had to have some sort of hybrid or, or digital content for them and all these different scenarios or if we're looking at reduced attendance, you know, what do we what do we cut in terms of our budget and you have all these scenarios playing out. And then when you finally get to that point where the the board gathers with with Marla and they discuss and they make a decision to pull the plug on it, it's it's a hit in the gut. I don't know what how else to describe it. it. You know, I've been doing this for 26 years and we've always had a convention and trade show. There's a rhythm to your year just like you guys as entertainers are used to doing your thing and and having that, uh, you know, you, pr- you go to a fair and you make those memories for those families and those kids, and that's what makes you feel good about doing what you do, you know, as as planners or association management folks, producing that annual convention is, that's that's the highlight of our year. And now this year, it doesn't exist. It's, it's, a, it's
0: a punch in the gut. It really is. It definitely is. Um, and then, I mean, you know, we're now rolling into 2021, initially with the podcast, I was going to cut it at that 30 episodes. You know, Michelle Richards was going to be the last episode right there before Christmas. And once Florida started having some adjustments, we, Sarah and I were talking about it and was like, you know what? I don't know when I'm going to get back on a fairgrounds and get back into that fortune machine. And so we just decided this is, this is their stories to be told and we need to keep sharing them. So, you know, we're looking into 2021, we're starting to see some movement, some good and some not so good. You know, I just got done with an interview a few minutes ago before we got on with um, Danny Alfonso from Manatee County, their fair went well, you know, they managed to dodge bullets, you know, cause last year they got their fair in before the pandemic hit. And this year they still managed to take produce an event. It, you know, might not have been as big and grand as, as Danny would have wanted it. Um, but they had, they set some records, you know, with their livestock sales and and people were just, he, described as people were so relieved to finally feel like they were connecting with with their community again and but meanwhile houston just makes the decision that and announces that they're canceling this year so it feels like you know maybe one step forward two steps back what are you what's your general feeling moving into 2021 do you think there's a point this year where we you know that needle starts to pull back in our favor and, and things start to swing our way again
1: I do, I guess, and I can't think of any other way. I mean, I have that that hope. I mean, obviously, I think there's some timing issues uh, early on in the year where it is tougher for some events to, to go forward, but I, I feel strongly that uh, 2021 is going to be a year of rebounding. I, I see events taking place and obviously there's going to be some modifications and there's going to be some operational uh, procedures that, that fairs and events are going to have to do to make them take place safely, but I think that's been proven that fairs can take place safely. Um, so yeah, I see it going forward. Um, but it, like you say, it, it may be a year of, of rebounding where maybe you're there's still going to be some you know attendees out there that may not feel comfortable going to events. So as, as a fair manager, and you know, I'm not wearing that hat, but you know you got to look at okay if I'm looking and expect 75% of normal attendance budget accordingly you know what you know that's the thing i think that everybody in their own specific communities are going to look at but uh, i certainly see them going forward
0: yeah i think so and and you know early on in the pandemic i was worried about some of these small county fairs oh my god you know they don't have big budgets are they going to be able to survive and it became clear as the year went on that it wasn't the small county fairs that were in in the most trouble it was going to be the big grounds that draw so much of their revenue you know some like you're looking at um, you know, the New Mexico state fair, even though New Mexico is a, is a, a state organization, they're entirely responsible for their own budget. They get $0 from, from the general fund. So when you start to look at that and you go it's one thing to not have the fair, but as Marla shared on the show, you know, you've got 80, 85% of these grounds that make more than half of their annual revenue from non-fair rentals. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the New Mexico state fair, that you can't have the RV and boat show you can't have all that Del Mar can't have a, you know, a horse race or anything going on like that. They, you starting to choke some budgets down real quick. And I think it makes sense then to me when I hear that Houston cancels, that makes sense because the amount of mud, they were at their point where as Jerry hammers, they ran out of runway. There's, they don't have time because they're now at the point where they're going to have to start spending millions and millions of dollars to produce that event at what, and they don't want to risk it. Like they did last year. They got it handed to them last year because all the money was spent. And I, so um i don't fault chris at all for saying we got to pull the plug now if they were a september event he probably would have waited longer but i think they made the right call for them
1: i don't think there's any doubt i mean i know all these people that run these events they want to do what's best for their community and that's what they're going to do and i, I you, know, you can't place any fault and blame it's it's the circumstance that they're in and and, and forced to make those decisions and they don't want to make those decisions so uh, Uh, That's tough, but uh, no, I'm feeling hopeful about the summer and I feel like this will be a a year of rebounding. And and obviously you look at 2022, uh, I would like to think that things get completely back to normal. And uh, as somebody said earlier, let the roaring
0: 20s come back and and there's going to be a pent up demand for what we do. I'm down for Uh, it. I'm predicting it's going to be very similar, um, if not more so than what we saw after the 2008 housing crisis. You know, when I look back, I built my business in the shadow of that housing crisis and literally built this up and started 2009 was my first IFE trade show in Las Vegas. And it was at a time when businesses had been devastated. Homeowners were getting foreclosed and, you know, people were losing 401ks. And, but what we saw was folks decided, you know what, we don't have five grand to go spend at Disney world this year, but we will go to the fair we will go have that time with families. And I think we'll see that again because I yeah. think before people are like I'm getting on a flight and going to Europe or I'm going to Disney world. I think they're going to hit us first. And I think it's going to be a really great rebound. Let's talk trade shows for a minute. All um, right. Cause that's what you do. This is your area of expertise, Steve. So I'm confident you will be very knowledgeable about the questions I have for you. Boy. You hope so. Right. <laughs> Planning a trade show obviously takes a huge amount of work. What's, I'm curious as to your your kind of your thought process um, and your creative process at visualizing what a show needs to look like, how it needs to be laid out so that it's not only a productive show for the exhibitors who are paying to be there, but for your members who are walking up and down the aisles and they're searching for entertainment. What do you how do you kind of set up a show like that?
1: I guess I like to think that our shows may be a little bit unique than what you see at <clears throat> you well know, medical equipment and that sort of thing. They're kind of bland. Our trade show is anything but normal. Uh, I was once interviewed on a morning show in Las Vegas when we were holding our convention there and they came in and did their morning show from our trade show floor because of all the wild and crazy zany things. I think I had five or six acts that got up with me at 6 a.m. to to do this live feed. Our show is like nothing else and so we don't want to just tell people and make sure your exhibit stays below eight feet in height it's got to be that fun, fe- festive atmosphere that is fairs. And so when you look at um, the setup of it, obviously you have some limitations when you look at a facility. You know, you go into a convention center and look at where their electrical comes out of the floor. It's set up to have 10 by 10 spaces. And if you look at the vast majority of our exhibitors, most people are getting a 10 by 10 space. I mean, there's a, a few exceptions to that, but more often than not, it's a 10 by 10. And so you want to to lay it out in a sense that, you know, we've always done the showcasing stages kind of in the back side of the hall because you're going to pull the traffic from the front to the back to go see the showcasing stages. We've kind of had a a, the foundation lounge in the center is kind of a gathering place to distribute refreshments, beer, that sort of thing uh, that kind of makes the center part of the show. And then obviously at your entrances and exits, you kind of get traffic kind of built in because that's where the door is. So you kind of, when you look at your layout, look at those things at each different facility where you hold it. Um, but, you know, by and large, uh, I think we've got a pretty good handle on that. And uh, it, it's worked well with what we've done in the past several years, for sure.
0: Well, I know you and I spoke um, a number of years ago, I think it was right before we were going to San Antonio. Um, I was on my way up to the Illinois State Fair. I remember I stopped into the IAF office and chatted with you and, and everyone. And, you were showing me then you were looking at a, a different design on the floor plan that was going to, you know, instead of up and down just aisles, it was going to have, you know, <laughs> angles cut in it and whatnot. And it, to me, it looked fascinating. It was going to really, um, uh, kind of make, mix things up, but that didn't happen. What was the restriction on that? That's prevented it.
1: It wasn't so much a restriction. It's the challenges of the electrical boxes, to be honest with you, you know, that whole crisscross, uh, grid that I showed you probably when you came to the office, um, You know, it's something that a lot of fairs have actually employed even on their midway. And I want to say it's the Tulsa State Fair. Amanda down there had kind of come up with a layout that had diagonals that uh, I know the carnival owner there thought it was fantastic the way it was set up. And so there were some other trade shows and other industries that had done that sort of thing. But when you get into it and look at where your electrical boxes is, you don't want to have all these, you know, water hoses and wires and everything else causing tripping hazards so it, it in, in the long term didn't make a lot of sense to go that direction.
0: so I, it would be it really was a logistics issue yeah
1: more than anything
0: else well that makes sense because if you look at the you know the convention halls that we we fill our space in they're all set up the same you know those electrical taps are all you know x number of feet apart mm-hmm. and in line together they're not making crisscross applesauce of a, of a trade show right. Although that would be cool it really i looked at it um, I thought it was a cool new idea. I would love to see it someday if we could, if it was manageable. Um, but the, the thing that I liked most about going to San Antonio is they took the blinders off. I told Sarah, I said, you watch, we're going to go to San Antonio and something big is going to happen. She said, why, why do you say that? I said, I, if he's been like 40 some odd years at that same room at Paris in Las Vegas, the carpet is busy. We're a very, like you say, we're not a medical trade show selling like CPAPs or anything like we're allowed Convention. Yeah. We're bright, we're big, we're colorful. I said, people walk up and down those aisles and they get blinders on because they get overwhelmed. It's almost like they can't see the forest for the trees. I said, We're gonna go to a place that now is a traditional convention hall. Um, we're gonna have gray carpet, so you don't have that visual stimulus, and the whole floor is gonna be different. So people are gonna be looking and paying attention. She goes, You think that'll happen? I said, Absolutely. Sure enough, Linnell Smith from Australia walks by and goes, looks at, at conjure fortune machine and goes, "This is really cool. How long have you been exhibiting? I've never seen this before." So, well, how long have you been coming to the show? She tells me, and I said, "Well, it's been on the trade show floor since like 2013." Yep. Yeah. She's like, "Really? Yeah." And that was it. That was my proof. The proof was in the pudding right there because it just it forced all of the buyers. To open their eyes and look at a fresh slate. It's not the same, right? It's not the same, and so that's part of the reason for me why I'm like, I know there's certain people that they want. They're very adamant about. I want that same booth in the same spot. And and I didn't really, when we were in Vegas, I didn't really care because if you're moving me, you're potentially putting me in a different visual range where someone looks and goes, that's it. You know, the one per one group you never want to be next to or across from is, is, is at least if you're an entertainer is sapphire, because God bless Kendra and company. But like ever I, I was next to them one year. I was like, oh man, Steve, we got me next to Sapphire. They're so busy, everybody's gonna see them, and then they're gonna come see me. I, I was invisible. Everybody loves Sapphire. Everybody goes they up and a, they spin the wheel of crap and they have so much fun yeah. talking to them, and then they're like, Okay, bye. And I'm all uh okay, never mind. They do a fantastic job about it. No bad, no doubt about it. They do. So I understand, and you may not be able to share much information on this, but I understand we're going to start moving this. We got, is it one more year in San Antonio? Yes. So this This year, 2021 is the last year in San Antonio. And then we will be moving. Now, I understand. Now you're looking at me very like stoic, like I'm not allowed to say the answer, but I understand we're going to be moving every year. Is that what I, or every number of years, we're going to be moving regularly? I know you can't say, you you can't announce where the new city is yet.
1: My understanding, and we actually had a a marketing team discussion about that this week, is everybody will probably have a rollout of information sent to them roughly March 1, so we're not far away from letting you know where 2022 is
0: at, so that's coming within
1: the next four weeks
0: for sure got it and that's fine but i'm just you don't have to say that i know it's a big it's a big hoopla um i've got like three cities in mind that i'm guessing that it could be uh maybe i should put we'll put them in a sealed envelope and mail them to you and just tell you keep the envelope sealed and we'll see if i predict it right. uh, but can you address are we how often we'll be moving cities will we every
1: year 2022 will be in one place. 23 will be in a different. So the next four years after that, 22, 23, 24, 25, will all
0: be different locations. And is the idea there that we're scouting one of those for a more permanent home, or is it just we're only looking about four years ahead?
1: Well, the way that, the, the time frame in which we have to book these venues uh, usually works about three and four years in advance. And so gotcha. as we get into 2022, we'll probably start looking at 26 and, and probably adding on and making a determination as to whether or not we go to a different city or do we find a city in this rotation that really worked well and really fit our needs and, and start maybe looking at doing a rotation of three different cities and doing them repeatedly. Right. All that is yet to be determined and hasn't been nailed down. We're just looking for, and I thought San Antonio, honestly, has been a great fit for us. Huge, I loved same, it. But at the same time, you know, you can go to different parts of the country and draw a different crowd you know, um, I think you have to try those things. I think you
0: really do. Well, and in the back of y'all's minds, is there part of you thinking that you, because of California having such a large share of our industry, uh, that because of their state restrictions on being able to travel to Texas, that that's sort of putting a damper on San Antonio. Is that a factor?
1: That is a consideration that has to be taken into account on any facility that you look at. If there is travel restrictions from a specific state that, you know, has a lot of your members in it, you absolutely have to take that into account. Is it the only factor? No, but it is certainly, you know, in the forefront of our minds when we're looking at that sort of thing. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, Where I like the work. idea of moving. I, I could see, um, you know, like two years in a place and two years in a place. Because um, it feels like the, the challenge there, if you move every year is going to be, you know, when we moved to San Antonio, the question was, well, where's going to be the, you know, the triangle bar or whatever, where's that meeting place that everybody goes to. And there ended up being a couple of different ones that set up. If you're moving every year, you don't get that meeting place ever established. But for me, I'm all about moving because I still say my theory, my original theory that led me to that booking was Sydney Royal Easter show still stands. If you're moving the floor every year, you're, you're, buyers are not going to have blinders on the way they did in Las Vegas. It keeps things fresh every single year. Um, you know, and it may give some, some other performers or, or even other smaller fairs that don't have the money to go all the way to Vegas or San Antonio. You know, I don't know where it is. I know previously I think when you were looking at San Antonio, I think maybe Louisville was on the list, maybe Indianapolis or Denver. I can't remember what all the cities were, but you know, if you think you've got somebody, a small fair in Kentucky that otherwise can't come to San Antonio Maybe if it's Louisville that makes sense for them, or maybe if it's you know Raleigh or Orlando, wherever you get smaller fares that can participate. So I think you could see some growth with that.
1: Yeah, there's so many factors into it. You got to look at labor costs, you have to look at food cost of what the actual facility uh, rental is. Uh, the hotel side of things is extremely important to our group. Uh, as you probably know, a lot of the entertainment agencies often do suites and host things after hours. and so, you have to find a city with uh, the hotels that have enough uh, suites to accommodate all of our members' needs. So it's a wide range of things that you look at. But uh, I think we've got the you know the next four years pretty well getting close to ironed out as to where we're we're at. But certainly, obviously, twenty
0: two is going to be announced here rather soon. So Thank only twenty two come March. Only twenty two is getting announced. So is this a year by year rollout, or will there be a point it's where you go here's the next a four year years? Year by
1: year rollout because there's still some contractual things on some other. And also to be honest with you, it can cause confusion. I mean, I know when we announced San Antonio, uh, it you know, that, that year that we made the announcement, everybody thought that the, the the Vegas show was going to San Antonio then and there was, you know, some confusion. So um, you kind of have to be, you know, mindful of that and not confuse people. And I think if you start throwing out, you know, a list of
0: umpteen places you think you're going, the confusion sets in. So you You're probably to- right. you probably and knowing me, I would be like, Wait, am I going to you know i don't know denver this year or seattle are we la where am i going this year yeah so listen you were you and i had talked when i did connect meetings which was a a convention i did in louisville Mm -hmm. and they had what was called a hosted buyer session and Mm um they kind of um for those listening that aren't familiar with a hosted buyer session um in you know rudimentary terms, it's a speed dating session. It's a one-on-one speed dating session with that, that buyer, that fair manager, that corporate event planner. Um, I did it at Connect and absolutely loved it. And I remember on, on the break texting you going, if you don't do this at IFE, you're crazy. And you guys were looking to try and do something like that this past year. Of course, mm-hmm. COVID had other plans. What was that going to look like and how, how would it have functioned for our industry?
1: Uh, we had it set up last year. This was, again, this was going to be part of our 2020 convention that did not happen. Uh, it was going to be on Wednesday morning, and it was set up as a breakfast. And so what we were going to have done essentially is, it, I think in our first year, Robert, we were looking at it, what I call limited participation to kind of see how this whole thing works. So maybe, I'm trying to think of what the number was, probably there was a, a limit of 25 to 30 exhibiting firms that would be participating. And then I think we had like 100 and some odd you know, attendees. But essentially, it's exactly what you talk about. It's going to be a two-hour breakfast was what it was going to be, and you get to go to a table, and they say it's Robert Smith's table, and you have a person that's there in front of you for three minutes, and you basically tell them who you are, what you do, and when your time, that three minutes is up, that person goes to the next table, and you get a new buyer that shows up at your table, you know, and it just keeps going. And it's exactly what it is. It's speed. So editing. would the
0: buyers have come to the entertainers? Is that how you guys were setting it up? Or was it the other way around where we, you know, the service members would go to the buyers?
1: I think, and our thought process was the the actual entertainers would be at the table and would stay at the table. Because if you had some sort of, you know, promo material, you don't need to be like lifting that up or taking it to the next table. It didn't make any sense that way. So I would see the the buyers being the ones rotating the actual spaces
0: but. the so it becomes it It becomes like a little micro trade show where
1: yeah it, but you're you know but you come out of that going okay you know i just met 15 16 17 new people that i had never met before and i think obviously we're looking at kind of maybe matching some needs and that sort of thing when, when looking at who's participating but uh you know, Kate uh, Turner, who's our director of meetings here, had done a similar type of format in some of her PCMA meeting stuff that she uh, belongs to, and she enjoyed the format. So we definitely are going to try that. And I think our intention setting here on, uh, you know, February 5th of 2021, that's our intention is to try that here for 2021. And and I think we have to to always be looking at different ways to connect our members. And, you know, as much as we believe in the tried and true trade show, you always got to Try
0: new things, make it fresh. I'm in, I'm in. Anything that kind of, that's a new and innovative approach like that, that can get me, you know, FaceTime. I've said for a while, once I did that thing at Connect, I said, I've been looking at it, I'm going, what would it be worth to me to know that I'm going to sit down for three minutes with the State Fair of Texas or the New Mexico State Fair or the Florida State Fair, even, even if it's not the big state fairs? What if I was just regional? What if I only worked up in the Northeast and I'm like, okay, I can hit the big E and I can and hit you know, five, even five other small regional or county fairs that make, have routing make sense. Cause that's an, another thought, you know, when you say kind of addressing some of those needs, I think if you can get us as entertainers in a situation where you say, listen, here's, we're going to get you hooked up with these fairs that are on the ske- regionally and on the schedule where the 10 people you're going to meet with three or four of them could route you potentially for five or six weeks that yeah. would be incredibly valuable, immensely valuable. And then I can offer a better price to the fares. So that gives them value. Cause now, you know, if it cuts the price $150 a day and they do that four or five, six different acts, all of a sudden they've saved 15 or $18,000.
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, and like I say, we're going give to give it a whirl this year and, uh, and try to make it happen. And, and hopefully it it is
0: found to be successful by our exhibitors for sure. Sure. Looking ahead at 21, um obviously hopefully we can have a normal convention um so i'm guessing you guys are planning kind of a, a different scenarios the way fairs are planning if we have some kind of modification for this show what kind of you know are we looking at fewer exhibitors um spreading booths out what kind of modifications are you potentially looking at if we have to go that route
1: yeah hypothetically uh Robert, if we were having our show next month in San Antonio, there would be certain things that we have to do differently. I think, and let's just make the assumption that let's say we're still dealing with things and we have our event. You can see things like uh, mask requirement for sure. Uh, I think probably having one entrance and one exit, meaning one way traffic flow um, and even within the specific aisles. So, you know, aisle one is heading north and aisle two is heading south to just eliminate that that whole, uh, I call it, crossing people. Um, One of the other things that's been talked about in the industry is a lot in a lot of shows that have taken place is they're extending the drape. And I know it sounds bizarre, but you think about the pipe and drape on your booth, you, you have your back wall that's eight feet tall and then your side rails are normally really short and only come out, you know, so far they're talking about now for a lot of shows, they're actually putting eight foot drape up on the sides and bringing it all the way out to the front that kind of closes it off. That sounds bizarre, but that's one of the suggestions that's being put out there by the facilities as well as show decorators. And I say show decorators, that's the, the firm that we hired that uh, puts up the pipe and drape. Um, and then obviously so- socially distancing situations, like you look take a look at our showcasing stages. Uh, we're probably not gonna have it jam packed with seats. It's probably gonna be spaced out some. Uh, yeah, same yeah. thing with the lounge in the center of the show. You're going to, have to make some modifications there. I and mean, then we look at operationally, you know, you have to have hand sanitizing stations placed every so often. You look at our registration desk of having plexiglass. So there's a whole myriad of, I guess, safety precautions that uh, show managers to have to take into
0: effect and, and, and make changes I'm looking on what they do for sure. Well, I can tell you when I did BizBash LA, they had a setup kind of like that. Instead of pipe and drape, it was these. I can't remember the venue that it was at in Los Angeles, but they had, it was a short ceiling. Like the ceiling itself was only maybe nine feet tall. So, I mean, it was like a house ceiling. It was really, really tight space, but the dividers were six foot like um, plastic. They were like a white plastic kind of wall divider. Mm-hmm. Um, so it almost looked more like office cubicles. Yes. And it was, I can tell you this, it was annoying as hell because you couldn't see anybody come in. It was just, it was not conducive to sight lines. It was awful. That said, if that's what has to happen in San Antonio to get us back together. To get us together, that's right. We're going to do what we have to do. And it's not like we're committing to that for 20 years. You know, it'll be one year, maybe two. Maybe we end up as performers. Maybe we see a couple of trade shows that do that. But if that's what it takes to get us back and make it happen, let's do it.
1: And we're nine months out. I mean, a lot of things can can change between now and then. But, you know, sitting here as it stands today, there's certainly going to have to be some some operational things that we do differently and we'll just have to work within those
0: constraints for sure. Yep. I agree. You know, I spoke with John Sykes recently and he said he's just tired of talking about COVID Uh, not only on the podcast, I agree with him on that, but just talking about it in general. So uh, in the words of, of Clint Swindoll, tell me something good, man. What are the positives that happened to you in, in the last year in 2020 now early 21? Uh,
1: Positives. Well, Robert, it's tough. I mean, you have to look for, I guess, for opportunity. And let's, let's talk about the business side of things first. Business-wise, you know, with every challenge, there becomes opportunity. You just have to, to look for it. I mean, as much as um, our industry has been hurt and I look at entertainers and and what what's going on, you know, the digital and technology side of things, there's been opportunities, you know, from the companies that are doing virtual livestock auctions to um safety equipment uh those who are doing you know drive-through and i i look at one of our members north pole productions tammy peters who does the christmas drive-through light shows they've been doing great business from what i understand because of the nature of what they do so in terms of of looking for i guess ways and to connect our members and doing different things that can still serve our members' needs, uh, you kind of just have to learn to push forward. And to me, that's been the positive, I guess, is that, you know, you can't focus on on just the bad things that are going on, look for the opportunity and ways forward. And for IFE, that was obviously providing a resource page for our, our members so that they had one place they could go and find the latest news. It was important for us to connect our members. And we did a lot of the I call it Zoom meetings, the let's chats and that sort of thing early on in the year and throughout the summer. Um, and even though uh, it's not the same as the in-person meetings that we're used to, uh, it was still good to see people on those those Zoom calls. It's good to see you today, you know?
0: Yeah, um, this podcast has been a lifesaver for me because I don't want to say I was getting into a dark place. Um, you know, winter's always tough for me because, and you guys are further north than us, um, so you get this it gets dark so early and it's cold and it just, there's dreary. And I, you know, I like the sunshine and, and being out in the sun. And um, then when you factor in the pandemic, things were starting to get a little, you know, it was, like I said, I gained the COVID-19 from stress eating and um, but doing this podcast is uh, really allowed me to connect with people again and, and provide, feel like I'm providing value to the industry and, and to our fair family. So that's been a positive you know, and I think you got to, yeah. even if you got to look hard for them, there are positives out there.
1: Absolutely. And I look at the, the resilience of our industry. I mean, uh, boy, it, it's hard. And I know so many people have been disappointed with canceling their fares, or, the, or if you're an entertainer that you're, you know, your, your entire route has been messed up and maybe so many people just had one or two events this year. Um, it's tough. And, you know, personally I guess I feel for everybody because I feel like our association is in the same boat all of our members are. You know, we're in the event business and we're not holding our events like we want to. Um, but I feel strongly about the people in this industry. We are a resilient bunch and it, it's going to come all the way back. I feel that. I really do.
0: It will. It, <coughs> it, it, it might be, you know, 18 to 36 months before we really feel everything's rocking and rolling again yeah. and attendance has come back. But you know, to me, the best predictor of uh, future behavior for people is past behavior. You know, we made it through 1918, we made it through World War One, through World War Two, through Vietnam, through the through 9/11, through the financial meltdown. We will make it through COVID. Yeah. And we will come back and and have huge attendance and be back to normal with no masks and hugging and doing all of what we do. It's just got to be, you know, require some patience right now.
1: Right, and you. you... Out of, I think Kate has something on her emails in our office that you know out of challenge comes creativity and I think that's what our our, our team here is trying to do you know we've we've now come up with the, the Thursday thirsty Thursday therapy sessions kind of the online happy hours and we're doing that monthly again just ways to connect our membership until we get back to normal um, you know, we did our first one last month and had uh, I think about 120 people participate in it so uh going to do another one on the 25th of February. And uh, like we just sent out the registration information on that. So any of your listeners out there want to join us, go to our Facebook page, look for that registration information. But that, that seeing the whole face-to-face thing, even if it's through a computer screen, is helpful at this point in time. But I think we're getting really, really close to getting back to some sort of normalcy. And on your question, I guess he's talking about positive. You know, on a personal level, it has to be spending time uh, with family and, and specifically my kids. And I know you feel the same way about Sarah and Nate. Uh, it's, I really kind of just taken a step back during this time and going, you know what, what's really important is this group right here. And so, uh, spending time with them has definitely been a positive and kind of focusing on, on their mental health and making sure that they're, they're happy and healthy for sure.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely been a challenge for all of us this year. <laughs> Nate just, Nate's looking at me to the side right here. He just dropped something on the wood floor and he's like, I know you're recording. I'm sorry, Nate. You're good. You're good. We're still on the air though. (laughs) Steve says it's okay. Um, you know, I really, I just, I adore this industry. I adore the people I work with. Um, it's just, it's been a really rough year, but I find that, you know, you said we're all in the same boat. I'm going to offer just a subtle correction we're all in the same storm but we're a lot of us are in very different boats that was a distinction that sarah made earlier yeah. this year and um I, I think it's a good one um but either way we've all got to keep rowing we all got to keep yes. pushing forward to get through you know and when you look at boats it, it, literally taking the example of the storm when you got a big wave coming at you you don't turn sideways you go straight, straight into the wave that's how you survive it and, and don't flip your boat so we hit this head on and and I know we've had to make a lot of difficult decisions this year. Um, and I'm hopeful that the majority overwhelming majority of this industry makes a comeback. It may take a couple of years, but we are resilient people. In fact, I think of all the industries out there, I'd like to challenge anyone to show an industry other than maybe the military, those people are really resilient. Show us another industry that is as resilient as farmers, rangers and our agricultural fairs. Yeah. You know,
1: and it, it keeps going back to that whole family thing where else I mean our industry gathers at our conventions and they share their ideas. Not a lot of industries do that they're like too worried about competition and, and you know sharing their secrets. Ours is one big giant family and that's what I love about it so much and I'm looking forward to uh, late November of this year and, and, and seeing all those wonderful people in San Antonio
0: yeah we are, and we do share ideas and you know sometimes ideas get taken and I remember when another you're laughing because <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago when another uh, fortune machine showed up at the convention and man, the text I had loaded in. I didn't even know he, he had a fortune machine. I'd loaded in. I was going to the uh, going to the airport to pick up one of the one of the other acts that was flying in. And Sarah's like, your phone is blowing up. What's going on? And there's like all these people going, did you know there's another fortune machine here? Are you pissed? And my answer was what? Uh, Okay. I get in and I see it and they're like, you got to be mad about that. They stole your idea. And I'm like a fortune machine. That's not my idea. I mean, it just, I'm going to put out a great product. He's going to put out his product. The fairs are going to decide and life's going to move on. I'm not mad. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like, if, if I was the, if I was the only fortune machine, then I'd have to make an argument that there should only be one hypnotist and one magician and one juggler. Sure. and it just doesn't make any sense. It's just not how that's gonna roll.
1: Nope. And uh, you know somebody it takes an idea, I guess what is it the, that's
0: a form of flattery, you know you're doing something right for sure. I don't know if I'm doing something right. Well then oh, we, are. Hey, I got, hey, I had it booked into Sydney Australia before CoVID said, hold up, wait a minute, you're not going.
1: You know, Robert, you and know, I've talked over the years, you know, and I always tell people when they join the IAFE I mean, don't just join and then go to the convention, engage yourself year round. And that is, you've done that. I mean, from social media to participating in educational workshops, you're out there moving and shaking and meeting people. And that's why you're successful at what you do. You're not just relying on sitting there in, in your 10 by 10 space to hope that the right person walks by. You're putting yourself out there. And that's what we have to encourage all of our, our exhibitors to do. Take advantage of every opportunity that IIP provides from whether it's a happy hour reception to sitting in on a workshop that pertains to your area of business. Engage yourself and engage yourself year round. You know, I think that's the, to me, that is the key. To overall success, because it's very much a relationship business. The fair business is all about relationships, and uh, you do a nice job on that.
0: You really do. Well, I appreciate it. You know, and and on that on that note of advice to you know other service members, uh, this was this was advice that I got early on, and that was check your entitlement because I talked to a lot of performers that say, "Man, I I talked to the you know the Tulsa State Fair, the Texas State, whoever it is." we had like a 15 or 20 minute conversation and they didn't book me and i'm like you're a 15 to 20 minute conversation with them build on that they may not need you this year they may be booked two years out you know the number of times i i would say on average uh, obviously this last year was the exception but on average at least once a year i get a booking that is from someone that says you know i don't know if you remember but we talked to you back in 2015 And we've got the, our new building is done. So we've got our finances have changed up a little. We want to bring you in or whatever the situation is. And it was a one conversation or it was one thing I said when I went to a social media marketing talk or something and they went, we're going to book him off of that. And it might be three years later. You can't put, you know, you got to check the entitlement that because you had a great conversation with someone means that you deserve to get booked. They may have a different plan that year. Maybe they have a different theme build on that relationship and just know that somewhere down the line, they're going to probably give you a call and say, Hey, it's your, you know, it's your turn.
1: I know some of these things pay off and that it's so strange that I will get calls from fairs. And this actually happened earlier this week where they'll call Steve, I was at your trade show in 2019 and there was this act and I think it was on the left-hand side of yours. And I'm not kidding. They'll give me a general idea of where it was on the show floor. And then I'm going back and pairing them up because they've lost the material. And so sometimes it does take a few years before somebody goes, you know what, I I remember seeing that a couple of years back and now it's the time to pull the trigger on it. So you just never know. It all works in mysterious ways that that way. But I I had that happen this week and paired somebody up that, that had seen them at a show two years ago,
0: you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to remember when, you know, you think back to when we were younger, when you heard commercials, you know, on the radio, they, how many, they would say the phone number, call us at, you know five 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 one two three four five six seven and they'd say it three times and back then you would need to hear uh you need three to five impressions before you would make a buying decision they're now saying it's somewhere between 25 and 30 impressions before because we're so inundated we're so swamped with information so just because somebody comes by you once you know follow up with an email and don't don't harass but just know that it might take several years before especially with some of these big fairs that plan several years out on things yeah you just got to be patient and build a relationship and know that it might take 20 to 30 solid impressions before they even get to that point where they go oh yeah i'm gonna book you i literally had two years three years ago i had a fair i was um we sat down at it was one of the Cocktail kind of happy hour deals that you guys do at IFE where you know you got a showcase band playing at night. And the gal looked at me and she goes, I don't remember talking to you like two years ago. How come I haven't booked you yet? <laughs> I said, I can't answer that question for you. And she goes, you know, what's your, I forget what, what's your September look like? Well, I got this and this and this. Do you think we can get you in on this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> like that's how it happens. You yeah. just have to be ready for it. So um I'm curious though, we're in 2021, you've been 26 years with this organization. If you could go back and give your, give yourself advice 26 years ago with information, you know, now, what would you tell yourself?
1: Oh boy. Oh
0: boy. We suddenly got back to heavy question.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's kind of serious. Um, I will say this and maybe it's just the mentality of people like me, they get into these jobs. When you get into event planning, you become, we are planners. We like to to plan things out way in advance. And sometimes when um, things don't go your way, you need to be more flexible. So probably I'd go back and tell myself, you know what, I know you're a planner, Steve. I know that you like to line everything up and, and want it to happen and to be executed in a certain way, but you know what? Sometimes your internet goes out and things just happen badly. In the middle of a podcast. You know, you know what I mean? Things don't always go as planned, Robert, is what I'm saying. And so you have to be flexible, be willing to kind of just slow yourself down and, and look for, for better solutions. But probably it's, it's the flexibility aspect because it's, Kate and I in the office here, and and a lot of our team members talk about this every year. We always think that and we we strive for the perfect convention in terms of, you know, all the workshops went off and everybody showed up on time and everything, you know, all the exhibitors showed up, every booth was full, and that everything goes off without a hitch. Guess what? You never. But you can always strive for it, right? But in reality, you have to be flexible and more flexible. And sometimes, I've let that affect my mood or my demeanor because something did not go my way. I need to learn to get over that stuff. And I'm still, still working on that.
0: I'm going to remind you when I see you in San Antonio this year and you inevitably every year, there's one point that I see you and you've just got this look like you're ready to steam over something, whether it's the decorator's done something or someone did this, or I'm just going to look at you and say, Hey man, just be flexible.
1: Yeah, exact, it's, it's exactly right. It's <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think about that or forgot to pack that from the office and now we don't have it. You know, whatever it is, there's always some mistake that you just kill yourself over or something doesn't go right, but it just is what it is. You have to learn to be flexible and, and make the best of the
0: Yeah, flexibility is absolutely key. So listen, we're getting down to being just about out of time. Um, I'm glad you could be on the show today. Before we go, if you've listened to the show before you know what's coming... You're throwing some weird questions at me, I'm sure. Everyone who goes on the show goes through my little speed round of questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions, and you give me your best answer for each. Steve Seaver, are you ready? I am ready. Question number one. What's your favorite comfort food? Comfort food? Robert Smith, that would have
1: to be mashed potatoes and ground gravy.
0: Really? Really?
1: Yeah, I am all about the mac and cheese. No, I'm i mashed. i I, I
0: can eat mashed potatoes just all the time. <laughs> it's just so good. Excellent. Question two: Favorite music artist would have to be the Eagles. I get Yeah. Question three: You can bring back one person from history to have a conversation with. Who do you bring back to life to talk to? Wow, that's heavy. I like to sprinkle some, you know, you know, I'm probably lighter get, fare in these questions. I'm
1: probably going to get a little more personal on that answer. Um, probably my grandfather on my mom's side. They lived on a farm five hours from here, and on some levels. As much as I knew him, I didn't really have those deep and meaningful conversations, and he had a very interesting life, and he actually uh, was close to playing pro baseball with the St. Louis Cardinals, and I would like to find out more about his youth and just have that conversation.
0: I've missed that with my mom's grandfather, I would say that, my, my grandpa Francis, for sure. I, I understand where you're coming from on that. A number of years ago, when I did the Illinois State Fair, about an hour away and from springfield illinois is where my dad went to college at mcmurray college and i went out there i called up their alumni association said hey my dad was one of your alums i'd love to come see the campus where he went to college and they were like ecstatic it's a small catholic school in fact they unfortunately they just they just were shuttered last year um but they were ecstatic about it and they showed me around the campus and the the campus union building has still got the original fireplaces on both ends and I sit there looking, and I'm trying to envision my dad as a 19-year-old sitting in front of the fire, studying or, or kicking back and, and hamming it up with his buddies. And so I'm, I'm there with you on that, you know, to be able to kind of take, get that glimpse back at your own history. I'm, I'm down yep. with that. Uh, easier question now. Favorite cut of steak? I'm a filet guy. Yeah, a six ounce filet cooked medium is
1: just right for me, with, of course, a side of mashed potatoes. And brown gravy.
0: Maybe not brown gravy with the steak on that particular instance, but definitely the mashed potatoes. Uh, You're given an all-expense paid trip anywhere in the world. Where are you going?
1: Um, I'm going to say, just because I have not been there and I've always wanted to go there, Ireland. Is that where the next IAFE is going to be? Is that 2020? We'll, we'll, work, we'll work on that. But <laughs> I have some, uh, my my mom's side of the family are, are Gallagher's and they are Irish. Okay? Mm. And um, I have just always wanted to go and you see all these beautiful, you know, the green of Ireland and the hillsides and the you know, sea, sea line, the seashore and all that. You're like, I just want to go once. And I haven't been there. I've been to Hawaii, loved it, would love to go back. But if I have, you just tell me anywhere, it's gonna be Ireland. I haven't been in there, I want to see it. Very cool. I'm down with
0: that. Last question. If you could guest star on any television show, past or present, which show would you be a guest star on? This
1: is easy because I probably right now outside of sports, Robert, only want only watch one TV show. And it's a series called Yellowstone. Okay. I think you so might be the would second to person to, to say that. I would have to have some sort of role maybe opposite of the Duttons where maybe rip takes me out or something like that but that show to me it's the one thing that Colette and i will sit down and watch together
0: and we love yellowstone and so i am itching for the next season to come out fantastic steve my friend i really enjoyed chatting with you today if folks want to get in contact with you if members need to renew their memberships hint 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 where can they contact you
1: Well, I can always be reached at 1-800-516-0313 or simply visit faresandexpos.com.
0: Bro, really, how come you're not doing VO work for this organization? Like, you've got a good voice. Well, of course
1: I do, Robert. You know, you had to do the voice of the trade show with a microphone.
0: You never sound like that on the trade show microphone. Uh, Stop it. It's my best Dennis Lee
1: impersonation. Tell brother Dennis, if you talk to him,
0: uh, I said hello. We did. We had him earlier in the season and what a character he is, but boy, does he have the voice. He He has got a voice. (laughs) He's the one that taught me right there. Oh, wow. Steve Seaver, director of sales for the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. My friend, I really appreciate your time today. Give Colette and the kids our best. And I hope we get to see you in San Antonio. At the end of the year thanks for being on the show today thank you robert good to see you you've been listening to the fair game podcast air game is a production of robert smith presents for more information please visit robertsmithpresents.com